We're in the 11th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. We are following Jesus and his disciples to Jerusalem, where Jesus is about uh, to uh, complete uh, the work of salvation. And at the beginning of this chapter, we are entering into the last week of Jesus's earthly ministry. Now, normally, what is termed the triumphal entry of the Lord Jesus into Jerusalem is preached on Palm Sunday. Well, it's not Palm Sunday today, <laughs> but in a sense, shouldn't every Sunday be like Easter Sunday? And uh, what we have here is um, Jesus... Uh, leaving Jericho, uh, we looked last time at Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, being healed outside of Jericho, and travelling the 16 miles to Jerusalem. So Jericho is uh, northeast on the plain of Jordan, uh, and Jesus is travelling to the east side of Jerusalem. Bethany and Bethphage are villages on the east side, and as I said last time we were in Mark... It's a climb of 2,500 feet, at least, from Jericho to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built on top of the mountains. So it's like travelling from Cardiff up to Penavan. That's quite something. And Jesus is now going to enter the city uh, from Bethany. So if you ever go from Bethany to Jerusalem, from the east side, you're going to get onto the Mount of Olives. I uh, was able to do this. Uh, and I was given the amazing privilege of jogging on the Mount of Olives. And you're standing on the Mount of Olives, and you see that famous view of the old city of Jerusalem. You can see the walls, and uh, it would have been different in Jesus' day, but he would have seen a grander view than the Dome of the Rock. He would have seen Herod's Temple, one of the greatest structures in uh, the world at the time. And they would have gone down the Mount of Olives, down into the Valley of Kidron, and then they would have entered into Jerusalem from the east side. Uh, wonderful. If you've never been to Jerusalem, you need to go. Now then, what are we going to consider here? I've got three things to say about this entry, this triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. The first is this. It was planned. It was all part of his great plan. We sang in the first hymn, that mighty plan of his great love. Uh, in um, this gospel, and certainly in the gospel of John, uh, we've seen how Jesus, when uh, the crowd tried to make him king, would go away and... Uh, uh, hide as it were he did not want to show people who he really was and in the gospel of john it explained that in the sense that his hour had not yet come but now what he's doing coming up to the final week of his life he's giving his disciples permission now to actually show who he really is what we're seeing now is the hour uh, approaching and I find that quite amazing. Here is one that's been neglecting the limelight for three years. And if anybody deserved the limelight, it is Jesus Christ. He is 
God's son. He is the perfect man. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. If anybody deserves to have the attention, it is King Jesus. But for three years, he'd hidden himself, as it were. But now, according to the plan, he says to his disciples, my hour is about to come. You need to show people who I really am. And it's interesting how this happens. I don't want to go through all the details that we had in our reading. Even if you're unfamiliar with the story, the reading explained what happened. Jesus directs his disciples to the hamlets of Bethphage. I'm not pronouncing it right, probably, but I'll call it Bethphage. And he says, you'll see the colt of a donkey. And it's unridden. And it's tied to a vine. And if the people who own that colt ask you why are you unloosening it you will say to them the master has need of him now that's amazing why is it amazing well let me give you two prophecies Uh, i don't want to turn to the passages but there was a prophecy over five centuries before the coming of jesus which said that when the messiah would come and that's who jesus is he would ride on a donkey So Jesus is now going to fulfill words that were written 500 years before. Isn't that amazing? And then, thousands of years before, in the prophecy uh, of Jacob upon Judah, in the book of Genesis, we looked at it when we looked at the gospel in Genesis, we're told, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, that's Jesus Christ, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. And this is it, binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. Wow. Something prophesied thousands of years in great detail is now being fulfilled down to the very detail. There's a saying, man proposes, God disposes. What does that mean? We plan, we plan events as a church, don't we? And sometimes we can't go according to plan. Um, I remember reading about a prayer meeting. It was a prayer meeting where people prayed for healing. They, they believed in the gift of healing and they would pray for healing. And uh, it was once cancelled and they had to put a notice outside. Uh, this prayer meeting has been cancelled because of illness. <laughs> so, so we're weak. We can never fulfill our plans. But when God plans, there is no plan B. Everything goes according to plan And it's not just the triumphal entry of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. It's the entry of Jesus Christ into your hearts and my hearts. That's what happens when we become Christians. A Christian isn't a person who takes up another religion. No, no. Christianity isn't a religion in that sense. Christianity is Christ. He's alive. And it's about Jesus Christ, not physically now, but by his spirits coming into your hearts and mine. And it's amazing how that happens. If you're not a Christian, ask Christians here this morning how Jesus Christ, 
conquered their hearts. And you'll hear a different story every time. Uh, with me, it was, I wasn't even invited by a Christian to the meeting where I heard the gospel. My roommate was invited, who wasn't a Christian. And my roommate felt sorry for me being left on my own. And so he asked me to go with him. And my roommate wasn't touched, but I was. The plan of God. Um, I've been reading um, Basker, uh, Basker's uh, biography. And Jesus visited Madras when Basker was a student there. Basker had plans. You need to read this biography. Basker was a Brahmin, the highest caste in Hinduism. And he was unhappy. And as a student, he prayed to his Hindu god. I can't remember the name of the god. Show yourself to me. May I find contentment. And he would receive no answer. And so he would say, I'm ready to offer you my blood. And he pricked his finger and offered blood to this god and still no answer. And so Basker planned that he would kill himself in order to try and enter into this state where he has a revelation of God. And he thought, and this is how the true and the living God works. Before I kill myself, I'll just take one last walk into the center of Madras. Just an afterthought. And he walked into this part of the city. And somebody was handing leaflets. And the leaflet said, blood is needed. And Basker thought it was a, a, a blood bank that this leaflet was talking about. And he went to the building where this um, leaflet was talking about, and it wasn't a blood bank. He heard for the first time what you're hearing this morning, the good news. Not about a Hindu God, but about the true and the living God. God plans. You're here this morning because God has planned it. So that, that's my first point. Um, Secondly, this coming of Jesus, this entry of Jesus into Jerusalem is so different, isn't it, from the entry of a worldly king. He's coming in humility, hence the donkey. Um, ha have you ever seen donkeys? I, I'm sure you've all seen donkeys, haven't you? Uh, when I was a boy, I would go to the beach, and in those days, there were donkey rides. Are there still donkey rides today on beaches? They're so ugly, aren't they? Donkeys. I'm sure I'm not going to offend any donkeys. They've got such disproportionately large ears and heads to the rest of their bodies. And they can't move gracefully like a horse. You see, in the Old Testament, a ruler would measure his authority and power by the amount of horses and chariots that he had. The kings of Israel, the really godly ones, did not have horses because that was a sign of the world. And now the real king isn't coming like an earthly ruler. He's coming on a donkey. Um, I don't know what the Roman soldiers would have done. Uh, they, they were... Uh, in Jerusalem, in great number, during this Passover, Passover season, uh, they, they knew a thing or two about a triumphal 
entry. Uh, if a Roman general had conquered in warfare, uh, he uh, would come back uh, to the city of Rome with a great procession. <laughs> There'd definitely be horses and chariots, and he would display all the prisoners of wars, all uh, the things that he had got. And here was the king of the Jews coming on a donkey. <laughs> It's, you know, you've got, you've got to laugh. But this is how Jesus works. He doesn't work like the world works. When I first met Christians, real Christians now, not religious people, I thought, these are just ordinary people. There's nothing special about them. That's it. It's not us, my friends. It's the Savior that we are declaring. It's not my influence that will turn you to Jesus Christ. It's Jesus himself working by his Spirit. That's what matters. And what was said uh, in one commentary about a Roman general, I like this. Apparently, before he was allowed a triumphal procession back to Rome, he had to kill 5,000 people at least. 5,000 people. Do you know that's significant? Because Jesus Christ, he touched 5,000 people after this week where he was going to die on the cross. When the spirits came down on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved. Later on, 2,000 people were saved. This is how King Jesus works. He works not to destroy people's lives. We hear, don't we, of holy wars. Oh, it's people being killed in those things. But the holy war that Jesus is fighting isn't about people being killed, but about people being saved. And it's not about our physical lives being saved, but our souls being saved from hell to heaven. And Jesus does it by dying himself. You know, the Roman procession, it would lead to the arena. And that's where the prisoners would be put to death. They'd be fighting the lions and the other people in the arena. Jesus' procession is going to lead to quite a different arena. It's going to lead to a cross. And on that cross, he's going to save you and me by dying himself. Isn't that wonderful? That's what Basker heard in that meeting. Blood is needed. Oh, it's not his own blood that was needed in order to have peace with God. We can never make ourselves right with God. It's the blood of Jesus Christ alone that gives us peace with God. That's the gospel. Uh, we, we sang about that blood. Think of the Passover. I read somewhere that about 250,000 animals were sacrificed during the Passover festival. All the blood gushing everywhere. Oh, that blood could never cleanse the soul of a guilty person. That blood could never give peace with God. But it pointed to the blood of one lamb, Jesus Christ. Didn't we sing? No blood, no altar. Now, this is not an altar. This is a table with the bread and the wine on it. It's not an altar. The sacrifice is over. 
We're not going to repeat the sacrifice of Jesus in the communion. It's over. The lamb is slain no more. Richer blood has flowed from nobler veins to purge, to wash the soul from guilt and cleanse the reddest stains. Meekness and majesty. This is our God, the servant king. Triumphing in humility, even humbling himself to the death of the cross. I wonder, are you ready to say, I can't save myself? That, that's humbling, isn't it, to say that? Because uh, we're all gods in a way. That's what the fall does. It makes us all into little gods. And we all think we are right. And we all think that we can make ourselves right with whatever being we make into a god. But the gospel says it can't be done. Only one person is good enough, and that's Jesus Christ. And all you can do is bend, as it were, in humility and say, Thou must save and thou alone. Are you ready to do that? Uh, like the donkey, you know, we're, we're not much to look at. Are we? I'm, I'm not saying that now in a derogatory way. But when you look at the Church of Jesus Christ, especially in the West today, we're just a dwindling group of people. Oh, we're just like donkeys, aren't we? And when you think of many chapels, there's only a handful of people meeting today. A handful of people. We're just like donkeys. One of my favourite poems about a donkey is written by Chesterton. Have you heard of C.K. Chesterton? He did the Father Brown stories. He's a really good writer. And he wrote about the donkey like this. Listen to this. This is good. With monstrous head and sickening cry <laughs> and ears like errant wings, the devil's walking parody on all four-footed things. That's not very kind, is it? The tattered outlaw of the earth, of ancient, I can't read my writing, of ancient crooked will, starve, scourge, deride me. I am dumb, but I keep my secret still. And you know what his secret is? Fools, says the donkey. For I also had my hour. Once. A fierce hour and sweet, there was a shout about my ears and palms before my feet. Are you willing to say, I'm just like that donkey? <laughs> I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. And I believe Jesus Christ has done it all. And I'm going to bow myself to him. And I'm going to be ready even to have people walk over me as long as he rides me. Don't you want Jesus to ride you? So his coming is according to his plan. It's in humility, not like the kings, the rulers of this world. And thirdly and finally, and maybe more importantly of all, what's our response? What's our response to his coming? When Jesus Christ is preached, 
in a sense, he's coming. He's coming. I long for days when the Holy Spirit is going to so come upon the word that Jesus is really going to be coming in a known and a felt way. But even this morning, there's a sense in which Jesus is here. Right? He's here. What are you going to do with him? And I want to address those of us who are Christians first, those of us who are his. What did the disciples do here? Uh, if you look at the account here, uh, verse 7, they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and then Jesus sat on it. In the Gospel of Luke, it adds, Jesus didn't sit by himself on the donkey. The disciples set him up on the donkey. Now, that's important. What did the disciples do in response to this King Jesus? Well, my friends, they set him up. Isn't that what I'm trying to do this morning? I'm trying to lift up Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm not into football, as you've gathered, but when a football team wins a great victory, um, even when Wales did really well in the World Cup a few years ago, wasn't there a victory parade or something here in Cardiff? And wasn't the captain, and uh, I'm going to get my terms wrong now, and the coach and the manager, weren't they set up? They were carried on high. They were shown to all the world as great people. And oh, my friends, don't we need to do that? I think I know why the church in the state she's in, at least in the West today, we're not setting Jesus Christ up. We're setting everything else up but Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm proud this morning to be lifting my Saviour high. Jesus the name, high over all, in hell or earth or sky. Set him up. That's what we're here for. We're not here to talk about other things. We're here to lift up Jesus Christ alone as Lord and Saviour. I've got no other answers. But this, Jesus Christ. I had my hair cut a few days ago, as you can see. And the barber heard that I was the pastor of this church. People know about us. And he asked me to do one thing. He asked me to promote him in our church. <laughs> well, you can see the results for yourself. I, I can't do that, can I? I'm not allowed to do that. I'm only allowed to promote one person, Jesus Christ. I want to promote him. I've said this often, but if you go to Wesley's Chapel in the middle of Bristol, they've really done it up in recent years, and it's, it's, it's a wonderful oasis in um, Broadmead. And you have one of the Wesleys, John or Charles, on horseback, because he used to travel miles and miles preaching Jesus Christ and underneath are the words and they're wonderful words oh let me commend my saviour to you that's what I'm trying to do oh taste and see that Jesus is gracious and if you're not a Christian why don't you why don't you try him well you know that's what happened to Basker uh, I'm, I'm going to read from the biography here. He went to that meeting. And do you know what he heard? He heard that he did not have to 
do the sacrifice, that Jesus Christ had done it. And then, oh, the words of John 3.16 were spoken in great power to him. For God so loved Basker that he gave his only son for Basker, that if Basker believes in him, Basker shall not perish, but Basker will have eternal life. And you can put your name to that verse. Are you going to do that this morning? Uh, and do you know what happened to Basker? He said, something remarkable happened. I had an undeniable feeling that someone was standing next to me. Jesus coming by his spirit, removing a heavy, intolerable burden from my back and throwing it away. It wasn't a vision or such like, but an immense real feeling. I felt incredibly light and free. I felt overjoyed that this transformation was all God's work, not mine. What's more, this revelation was prompted by God's love for me, not my devotion or religion or good works. And it was given positively and definitely. I, Basker, have eternal life. And you can have it if you just turn to Jesus Christ this morning and say to him, I give up, Lord. I can't do it. I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. I'm bowing the knee to you, King Jesus. And I'm going to trust you from now on to save me and to lead me for the rest of my life. And when I die, instead of going to eternal condemnation, I will go to be with you in heaven. Oh, my friends, we haven't got much time left, have we? Jesus Christ entered Jerusalem 2,000 years ago to die on that cross. He rose again. He ascended into heaven. Ever since the last 2,000 years has been a history of Christ's power. I'm not interested in bishops and in church buildings and in all of that jazz. I'm interested in the workings of my Savior by his Holy Spirit. And that's what he's been doing. He's been visiting here and there, even in this church, triumphing in our hearts. And may he triumph this morning. Because one day... He's going to come back physically and every eye shall see him. And on that day, you will bow the knee to him. You will be forced to do it and confess him, Lord. But it will be too late then. You won't have him as a savior. He will judge you. Bow the knee willingly to him now and take him as your savior and experience the liberation of sins forgiven and eternal life, even begun below.